and the techs were being trained to wash them with both bleach and ethanol at the same time, which if you work in the lab industry, you know that that's a big no-no because that creates chloroform. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to episode two of Not Safe at Work, a show that exposes everything that's wrong in the workplace, toxic environments, corrupt corporate culture, unsafe working conditions, the mistreatment of employees. The story I have for you today touches on all of these elements and is especially relatable to anyone that works in the medical field. People that are being forced into cooperating with illegal and unethical practices, being forced to voluntarily work a sixth full day of the week and sometimes not even being paid for it, or are repeatedly ignored after making multiple FMLA leave requests to take care of your sick mom who's in a potentially deadly situation. Today's guests and her company are kept anonymous, but I'm going to refer to her as Chloe throughout the episode. This is the story of the unbelievable, unethical, and illegal practices of a COVID testing lab. Chloe has been working in a COVID testing lab for over two years, and she has no experience in this field, no training, no lab history. Her background is in culinary, but what Chloe does have is a moral compass. She's been quickly recognized and promoted for her strong work ethic, but this promotion, it came with no pay increase, no real benefits, and Chloe's been reprimanded for refusing to lie and backdate on formal documents. The cherry on top is that Chloe's mom had a medical emergency at the end of January of 2022, and she's been put on life support ever since. Chloe and her sister are their mom's power of attorney, and Chloe put in a request for FMLA to take care of her mom. She was called into a meeting with Human Resources in early February and was accused of trying to make management look bad by pointing out and reporting serious safety and health concerns. They said if one more policy is broken, she will be terminated. There was no mention whatsoever of her FMLA request at all. Well, I've been at a PCR laboratory for the last two years, and we used to be a genetics laboratory. And when the pandemic hit, we switched to COVID testing. And that pretty much drowned out every other type of testing that we were doing at the time. I actually reached out to a doctor who was the medical director for one of these same types of labs that Chloe works for, and he said that this situation is extremely common. There's been a recent trend of clinical laboratories pivoting from traditional lab testing, like blood work and urine testing, to COVID testing, because these labs have struggled with reimbursement in recent years before COVID, and the government's relatively generous and easy-to-access payment for this testing created a frenzy of labs performing COVID testing. It started out as a small lab with just six people, and we expanded by 8,000% since the pandemic started. And that's a real number, apparently. 8,000%. To put that in perspective, imagine you started off having 20 samples a day. Now you have 1,600 samples a day. So we've been short-staffed from the beginning. It's been a trend of this company hiring fresh out of college faces. For most people, this was their very first job out of college. They had no experience at all. And most of them bypassed training or were rushed through training completely in order to uh, expedite performing testing. So it has been pushed from day one that quantity was important and we must process as many tests as we can. So don't worry about doing things the legal way or the honest way or the ethical way. We need to make money, so do whatever it takes to process as many samples as possible. At the time, they had just bought this new building, so they were under construction while we were also doing testing. So for a lot of the first year, we didn't even have a ceiling. 
There was open duct work and construction crews and equipment everywhere. Some of our PCR equipment was sitting on the ground, plugged into extension cords for months while we used it. Mm, Talk about a fire hazard. Management wasn't really organized or cohesive in any way. So there was a lot of screaming and yelling and confusion. I didn't even know who my supervisor was until I'd already worked there for four months because I was never introduced. I was never given a tour of the lab. I was never trained. Four months and you have no idea who your supervisor is. What do you do if you have a problem, if you have a question, if you have an issue with another coworker? You're just expected to be trained by these random people who aren't even qualified to be training you in the first place? Um, everything that I learned, I learned on the job as we went. For background, this was my first lab job. I had no lab experience at all. I am a culinary chef. I was trained with culinary. I, my degrees in culinary arts, like everything. Imagine you're working as a chef yesterday, then you land a job working in a medical field and you go to work on day one and no one even questions your background or your experience or your knowledge. seems like more of a culture of factory work than medical work. So they literally just kind of gave me a paper lab coat. and was like, all right, go over there, figure out what to do. (laughs) I had no bloodborne pathogen training or no DOT or RICRA training until after I'd already been there for six months. Okay, so all of this training, it's designed for workers that are at risk for being exposed to blood or other bodily fluids while they're on the job. And their employers are required to train their staff to properly deal with hazardous materials, stuff that threatens people's health and people's safety. And this kind of training is required for any employee who has any part whatsoever in handling hazardous materials, which Chloe absolutely had been doing for the first six months before she had any formal training. So basically, these very serious safety laws were being extremely violated. We were forced to reuse disposable PPE lab coats where we would write our name on them and use them for the entire month. A lot of the times we didn't even have gloves. And I know a lot of that was due to a huge PPE shortage. PPE stands for personal protective equipment, paper lab coats, eye goggles, gloves. Imagine being forced to wear the same lab coat for over a month at a time and dealing with potentially toxic chemicals while wearing no gloves. It's dangerous and just disgusting hygiene in general. But even once that passed, we were still reusing paper lab coats and we didn't have goggles or face shields or anything like that for the whole first year I was there. We were illegally disposing of hazardous waste down a city drain because we didn't have the permits. According to HazardousWasteExperts.com, putting the wrong stuff, putting hazardous waste and toxic chemicals down a city drain can destroy piping and even harm the health and safety of both workers and the general public. We got caught signing out invalid test results as negatives and had to issue thousands and thousands of amendments to test results to patients. There were a lot of positives that went out that probably shouldn't have because about 75% of our positive results ended up being due to contamination issues that we experienced over the first year, again, due to lack of training for the staff and lack of PPE. 75% of false positive COVID results caused by contamination issues in the lab and workers not being properly trained or provided with proper PPE. I'll just leave this statistic right here. We had multiple COVID outbreaks amongst the staff where a lot of us were forced to continue to come to work even though we tested positive or the management hid the fact that people had tested positive and told them that they still had to come to work. A COVID testing lab that makes you come to work if you have COVID. That's ironic, isn't it? Janitorial staff that was hired was never told to wear PPE, never given PPE, never trained on what to do inside the lab. 
lab. We just had standard janitorial staff, no one who was trained in proper decontamination or infectious disease. I can't find anything that says a workplace is required to hire a special disinfecting staff after an outbreak of COVID, but these types of businesses do exist, and they're known as decontamination and disinfection cleaning services. At a workplace of this size, you'd think they want to take every precaution possible to minimize the spread of the virus. But I guess on the other hand, if they're forcing people to come to work, even if they are sick, why spend the money on a special cleaning? About six months after I started working there, I was asked by the lab director, because at the time I was actually a standout employee, which is really funny for someone who had no experience, <laughs> to be a quality assurance specialist. He recognized that the lab had a lot of issues and that he wasn't present enough to be able to stay on top of those things. So he had several staff members, myself included, become QA specialists to kind of help him stay on top of things within the laboratory itself that were falling through the cracks. So on behalf of the QA specialists, we developed a contamination monitoring system where we would perform monthly surface testing around the lab to determine where the highest values of contamination were located so that we could pinpoint better decontamination processes. And um, it got us in trouble more than it helped because when we would find out these results and we would bring them to management, they would sweep them under the rug or we would find ourselves assigned to an unsavory event bench for the week or for the month or something would magically happen that week where we would be written up for something that didn't happen. The lab director, he's a doctor and he's responsible for the lab's overall operation. That includes safety, quality assurance, testing, everything really. So he specifically asked Chloe and these other standout people to identify the major issues and report them to management. Management then punishes these standout people for doing what the boss asked them to do. It always felt like we were just kind of rallying against this, this ginormous entity to be like, hey, these things are wrong. You should fix them. This is what you told us to tell you, but no one would listen. Everything was disregarded. And then at one point I wanted to test our employee break room and the clean areas of the laboratory because we had such a high outbreak of COVID with the staff and they refused. They wouldn't let me do it. I'm starting to be less surprised at anything going on at this circus. Yeah. And then over the course of being a QA specialist for the last year and a half, I helped us get ready for our cap inspection and our CLIA inspection where we found massive holes in our documentation and our paperwork. We had no documentation whatsoever of how we were disposing of our hazardous and our biohazardous waste. We had no receipts, no company information, no nothing. No proof that we were disposing of it the legal way, even before we had a permit. Personally, I wrote over 500 quality deviations and corrective action reports on behalf of the laboratory to compensate for things that had occurred over the last two years that I worked there. I had management pull me aside into a meeting because they wanted me to backdate and lie on a lot of these corrective action reports, and I refused. And I ended up having to have a big meeting with HR about how I wasn't living up to my potential. Not living up to your potential because you refuse to lie on formal documents. Okay, I guess I lied. This did surprise me. But at this point, the whole thing's just actually laughable. So it's, it's kind of just always been a little crazy, honestly. It's some of the most unethical, backhanded things I think I've ever experienced. And as a chef, that says a lot because I've primarily <laughs> worked with unsavory characters my whole adult life. At this point, I wanted to find out a little bit more about management and the lab director and who's calling the shots, who's allowing this craziness to happen, 
and why? So the the laboratory director is a doctor. Our company was bought out by a corporate laboratory when the pandemic began. And that's where all that funding came to create the COVID lab. In the beginning, I kind of thought that he was, you know, a good person. And he was just kind of caught in the crosshairs of all these corporate douches who wanted to make a bunch of money on the pandemic. But (laughs) I think over the last six months or so, he's really started to show his colors as far as him being implicit in a lot of the decisions that were made and being responsible for the decisions that were made. So essentially, you have businessmen calling the shots and running a medical laboratory. Nothing at all against businessmen, but what they see is dollar signs, not safe medical practices. Oh, 100%. Our uh, our sales team kind of runs everything for us. They they promise clients that we have these incredible turnaround times and that we're capable of doing all this extraneous testing, but we've been short-staffed and under-trained and shoved into this tiny building this whole time, and we're in no way, shape, or form able to keep up with it. But we're making this company billions of dollars. I asked Chloe about the dynamic between her and her other co-workers. Are people at each other's throats all day from the stress and the workload? Or have people bonded over this? So it's a little bit of both. To backtrack, they utilize uh, temporary staffing agencies to hire. So everyone who gets a job here was hired by a temporary staffing agency under the premise that after 90 days, they would be hired on full time with the parent corporation. I was hired on as one of the first big groups of people when COVID hit and they hired about 55 of us all at once. And so when I showed up, it was me and like 15 other kids on our first day. And most of us had no lab experience. Me and that core group, that first group, we're like brothers and sisters. We're best friends at this point. You know, we we survived the war. <laughs> like we're in the trenches with each other. We took care of each other. We fed each other. We made sure we had caffeine. And, you know, there were days where we cried on each other's shoulders. Like they're truly a family at this point. I had really mixed feelings about this. It's really sweet and it made me kind of tear up actually. But is it right that you're forced to bond with your coworkers just because you're all being so poorly treated? Isn't that kind of messed up? And it's honestly probably the only reason I'm still at this job is because I do have a really strong network and support system around me of the handful of about five people that are left from that original group. Every couple months or so, a staffing agency will hire another big group. So you'll have this lull where it's just the same people. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you'll have 20, 30, 40 new people all start on the same week. Up to 40 people starting in the same week who have zero lab experience? Who's expected to be training these people and who has time? I asked Chloe about the training processes at the lab or I guess lack thereof. Since day one, they've had us doing all the training. That's kind of where that that training problem hits too, is you have people who've only worked there for a week or two now training new people when they're not even certified or signed off on their bench in order to be training in the first place. So it just continues the trend of poor training. But yeah, we were pretty much a tight-knit group. We're a family. Over the course of the last two years, there's been groups that have come in every couple months. And some of them have been really close and some of them have been not so close. For the most part, we've been really, really lucky to have some absolutely incredible people start this job. This has to be a common thing. You have a solid core group of hardworking, loyal, likable people that may even become friends, but then you have incompetent, toxic upper management just ruining it for everyone. It's a shame, really. I am of a little bit older of a generation, so I'm mid-30s. And most of the people that are hired are like 22, 21. They're really, really young. 
So it, it was almost hard in a way to kind of find a lot in common with them and to, to get along. But I think just because of the nature of the job and how stressful the environment is and everyone knows and sees and experiences how backwards a lot of the stuff is that it's kind of forced us all to bond anyway. I, I mean, I have a huge family right now and it's just because of this job. I was really happy to hear that Chloe's story has this kind of silver lining and that her and her co-workers have this amazing bond and relationship, but I was still curious about what the daily dynamic and relationship is like between the supervisors and the managers and Chloe and her tight-knit group. We operate 24-7, so we have three shifts. We have morning shift, afternoon shift, and night shift. Each shift has two managers who oversee the entire operation. And under those two managers are two supervisors who work within the lab itself and actually, you know, have their hands dirty. Because we were hiring so many inexperienced people, that meant that it, it was left up to the supervisors, who were the only experienced ones in the lab, to therefore evaluate the data and sign out test results. So that means our supervisors are stuck at a computer in another room outside of the laboratory evaluating data through the entire shift. So they're never inside the actual lab. They never get to participate or do anything that we're doing. And most of them don't want to. They're honestly pretty cool with just kind of sitting back and being on their phone and then evaluating some data results every hour or so. To put that less politely, the supervisors spend the majority of their day on their phone, likely on Instagram, Facebook, watching Netflix, listening to podcasts. If that's you I'm talking to. Do you feel even a shred of embarrassment? Which meant that a lot of the staff inside the lab had to step up, which is what happened with me and a lot of my close-knit group. We stepped up so much, we were running the lab, and we still are. So they call us leads, lead techs, even though we've never been promoted or never had our title changed or never had our pay increased. But they have us writing SOPs. They have us training new staff. They have us running the lab and delegating and keeping things on track and solving problems and filling out documents. We're basically doing supervisor duty. The managers kind of just sit in their office. When you knock on the door and you want to talk to them, they're too busy to talk to you. They're always in a meeting. Anyone else have a feeling that the managers are doing even less than the supervisors? We never see them in the lab ever. And a lot of them have no lab experience. I know one of them personally who was a, a lead chef at a restaurant for years and then became a restaurant manager. He has no science background, no lab experience whatsoever. And these managers are the ones calling the shots. Chloe said that these unqualified, inexperienced managers were hired by corporate when they had that 8,000% increase in work volume. According to that doctor I spoke with, there's been tons of pressure on these labs to find and hire qualified testing personnel. But the people who are actually qualified to do this so-called high-complexity testing are those fresh-out-of-college faces, the ones physically pipetting and producing the work. It seems like they were just hiring bodies as upper management. Oh, yeah, a thousand percent. They've admitted to it in openly in meetings and emails that, you know, we just need hands in the lab to process tests. And that's why when we hire new people, all their training and all the, the foundation that you should know, like how to properly handle biohazardous waste or hazardous waste is thrown out the window. The first thing they learn is to hold a pipette and to sit in a hood and how to extract a sample. And then they're shown how to run a Hamilton, which is like this little robot that will extract samples for you so that if they're not legally able to be an MT and handle patient samples, if they're just TAs, for example, then they can still extract. They just have to use the robot instead of doing it by hand. So now everyone is still forced to extract. And these people are in hoods all day, every day, 8, 10, 12 hours, six days a week, doesn't matter. 
A lot of them have repetitive motion injuries. So when Chloe says hoods, she's talking about fume hoods. And these are what people sit under while they're extracting the COVID samples. I linked a video at notsafeatworkpodcast.com. It's from the Cleveland Clinic, and it's called Inside Look at COVID-19 Testing in Lab. If you go to six minutes and 15 seconds in, it shows this extraction process that Chloe talks about. People are squeezing a pipette back and forth with their dominant hand for at least 40 hours a week. Of course, you're going to have injuries. But switching gears a little bit, Chloe had told me up front that there's been this crazy mandatory overtime requirement implemented at her work. I asked her to tell us more about this and explain how that's even a thing. Yeah, that's been fun. So <laughs> last year this started, we were severely short-staffed and from November to January has been our hardest months in this laboratory for the last two years in a row. So we kind of hit this lull over the summer where there's not a lot of testing. We're processing maybe 15 to 20,000 samples a day, despite it sounding like a big number. For us, it was not a lot. From November uh, around Thanksgiving all the way through until the end of January, we're processing almost a million samples a month. And it's, it's intense, especially when you're short-staffed. So last year we were really, really short-staffed. I was one of four TAs at the time. TAs are responsible for making buffer sets, handling reagents, stocking the lab, decontamination, running the instrument, plate mapping samples and doing accessioning and registration of the samples. Like we're responsible for all of it. So the four of us <laughs> are literally dying. And so they put us on this six day mandatory overtime. The way that they put it was it's voluntary and we'll pay you extra money for the hours that you work on top of your time and a half for overtime. But if you don't volunteer for your six shift, we're going to call you in. And if you don't show up when we call you in, you will be fired. <laughs> so voluntary is a loose term here. I wondered if this was a bluff or if they actually did fire people. Yeah, they, they, they definitely fired people. They didn't care. They have, they have no qualms of firing people because they can call their temporary staffing agency and have five more 21-year-olds who have no idea what they're doing and are just happy to make $24 an hour. I'm starting to see what's going on here. So they're just hiring college graduates with degrees but no experience. And hey, $24 an hour for your first job? Not bad at all. And they pay really well. So I think that's why it's been so easy for them to just turn over like that. So it worked out for them last year. We survived the worst of the pandemic and process over a million samples a month, just working six days a week. And I think that's probably what bonded me and my teammates the closest was just the absolute burnout that occurred because of that. I have a friend who works in a laboratory, so I asked her to sit in on the interview with Chloe. We had a similar situation in our lab and we called it trauma bonding. <laughs> yes, yes, it's literally trauma bonding. Yeah, like they mentioned the word overtime and everyone breaks out into a cold sweat. It's like this PTSD response now. Like it's awful. <laughs> it worked out well for them last year. So they did it again this year. They were like, all right, everyone's familiar. We're bringing back the sixth shift. Yeah. So sign up here to work your sixth shift. It has to be a full eight hour shift. You can't just work an extra two hours every day to make up for it. It has to be a whole extra day. And if you don't sign up for it, we're going to call you in. And if you don't come in, we'll fire you. And they sure enough did the same thing this year that they did last year. As you can tell, Chloe is a really smart, hardworking, capable person. I asked her, why are you still working at this place? Can't you find a better, less stressful, and safer job? What's going on here? Her answer tells us a lot about what's confusing about the world's working hierarchy. I'm a, I'm a single mom, and I like money, and this is probably the most money I've ever made in my life, so I kind of haven't really had a choice. I also don't have a bachelor's degree, so despite the fact that I've been applying for jobs for the last year to try to get away from this place, everyone wants you to have a bachelor's degree. 
And an entry level job wants you to have five years experience and a master's degree. It's not easy to get a job in the state that I'm in right now, especially when there's a college, it's a college town. So they can hire 21, 22, 23 year olds and pay them a low wage and it'd be fine because they still live with their parents and they don't care. It's different when you're, you know, in your thirties and you have a home and a responsibility to a family. And then they're just like, oh no, that's, that's too much money. We can't pay you for that. So I've kept this job out of sheer, <laughs> sheer will and misery to not fail my kid. And it's, it's definitely not been an easy ride. This has been the hardest two years of my life. It's really sad what people have to put up with and tolerate both physically and mentally just to support their family and their children. I have a lot of friends who are nurses and I've been able to confide in them a lot when I've experienced the trauma bonding issues that occur. <laughs> you know, they're all kind of on the same page too. The hospitals are treating them like garbage and they're working too much and they're, they're not being paid enough. It's just, it's pain for a lot of them. And a lot of them were incredible nurses and really, really passionate about the job. And now they just don't want to do it anymore. Like it's been beaten out of them. And just so many, so many healthcare workers have just been bled directly this pandemic and the corporations that have done it to them don't care because they've made the most money that they've ever made because of this pandemic. When you watch the news and see the COVID numbers pop up, do you believe that it's that bad or do you think a lot of labs are experiencing these like false positives or like contamination issues? If it's anything like our lab and it's run by the same type of greedy people, I think a lot of it is contamination issues and false positives. We didn't even start confirmatory testing until a few months ago, which means for the first year and a half of the pandemic, when we got a positive result, we signed it out as a positive and released it to the patient without question. We didn't stop to see if there was contamination issues. We didn't stop to make sure that the equipment had been cleaned properly and that the staff was trained and that everything had been done correctly. No, it did not matter. It was a positive. They signed it out and they never thought of it again. In November, cap was coming and they were like, oh no, we are supposed to be checking these positives and we haven't been doing it. So now we're going to pull our positive tests, our positive samples, and we're going to rerun them a second time for confirmatory testing. And then if it comes back positive a second time, we will then release the result. And I was like, oh, you mean we should have been doing that this whole time? <laughs> Weird, awkward. Well, yeah. uh, and that was also when they found out that we had been signing out invalid samples as negatives for the last year and a half, which I didn't know about because I, I can't work in data. I'm not experienced enough. But I think that that's also insane because our invalid rate has been so high due to the lack of training. And our lab was over hundred degrees almost every single day for months because of the construction we were doing and not having HVAC. And I know for a fact, our reagents cannot be stable at those temperatures. In case that didn't sink in, they were working in a 100 degree Fahrenheit lab for months with no air conditioning while the building was under construction. There's certain lab equipment that should absolutely not be used in a room at this temperature. It's an extraction instrument called a Kingfisher. I don't know if you're familiar or not, but they overheat really easily as well. So when they're all crowded together in a small room full of people and they're overheating, we're obviously also going to get a lot of invalid test results. They were just signing those out as negative without question. And I'm like, of all the things that can contribute to a patient getting an invalid test result, there are thousands of variables that can occur from the time we receive a sample to the time data is evaluated that can give an invalid test result. And to sign that out to someone as a negative and just dismiss it is insane to me. 
I don't know how many people got results thinking that they were safe and they were fine because it said negative and it wasn't. Why is it that Chloe, a lower paid lab technician, feels so much more emotional than high paid executives, supervisors, and managers about patients receiving potentially invalid, contaminated COVID results? And that happens so much. Like I see it so much where I'm at that it's absurd. But there's no point in pointing it out anymore because they're just like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll look into it. And then they just brush you off. We see when these accidents happen or when something goes wrong. Like, I'll be training someone on the buffer table and they'll be like, oh, yeah, well, someone yesterday told me how to make this reagent this way. And I'll go, well, no, you can't make it that way because that'll cause invalids or that's contamination or whatever the issue. And they'll be like, oh, well, I've been doing it this way for the last couple of days. So now I have to go report that to my managers and to my supervisors as we may have results that came out incorrectly because of this. And they'll be like, oh yeah, oh well, we'll look into it. Nothing gets done about it. So then I have to sit there and be like, how many thousands of patients just got results that aren't true? At this point, everything is just so insane that I don't even know how I'd react if I was in this situation. I wondered if Chloe even takes this seriously anymore after trying so hard to fix things and getting no response. At this point, my sense of humor is just like, awful because I'm kind of just hoping we catch fire and everyone dies in the lab. Like I'm just like, somebody just put us out of our misery because we're, we're so bad right now. I have reported to corporate. I've reported to OSHA. I've reported to the department of labor and industry. OSHA stands for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Their website lists their mission as, quote, to ensure safe and healthful working conditions for workers by setting and enforcing standards and by providing training, outreach, education, and assistance, unquote. The Department of Labor's website lists their mission as, quote, to foster, promote, and develop the welfare of the wage earners, job seekers, and retirees of the United States, improve working conditions, advance opportunities for profitable employment, and assure work-related benefits and rights, unquote. It's a hard pill to swallow that even these giant organizations that are supposed to be put in place to protect workers, even they don't care? Where's the hope here? I've gotten attorneys and talked to them about things, especially like the lack of overtime pay that just recently occurred again. That was a big one. I've contacted so many agencies and filed so many complaints and have gotten almost no callbacks or or information at all. And I know that it's not just me. Like I know there's other laboratories and hospitals and healthcare workers that are also experiencing a lot of this. And I know that insurance fraud is also a huge problem with laboratories. So I know they've got their hands full, but at the same time, it feels like we're just in this alone, that none of these agencies who are put into place to protect us and to protect patients are here right now. They're just too busy and we have nothing. We have no support. I filed an OSHA complaint last year and it was the only one that I heard back from them on. And all they did was send an email to the lab director to question him about the practice and whether it was true or not. I never heard about it after the fact. So I submitted this anonymous complaint to OSHA about our techs were being trained to, do you know what an octopure is? I did not in fact know what an octopure is. Okay. It's a, it's a extraction instrument that was created for the agricultural industry. It was made for testing soybeans. Okay. It's not even made for PCR testing and somehow we're using it for that, but it requires these ceramic blocks that the machine utilizes to move around and, and, and extract and pipette samples. These ceramic blocks have to be washed and bleached and taken care of in a very specific way. And the techs were being trained to wash them with both bleach and ethanol at the same time, which if you work in the lab industry, you know that that's a big no-no because that creates chloroform. (laughs) Did she just say people were being trained to create chloroform regularly 
at work? So we had these techs with no face shields, no goggles, and no proper PPE creating chloroform <laughs> while they're doing their job and not realizing why they have migraines every day. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? And I brought it up to management multiple times over the course of months. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, we'll let them know not to do it anymore. That's crazy. Wow. Good catch. And then a week later, someone else would still be doing it. I'm like, did you communicate? They're like, yeah, we sent an email. We'll, we'll do it again. No big deal. And then a week later, it's the same thing. And I'm just like, nothing is happening that is big enough to make everyone stop doing this. Like you can't just send out an email and be casual about it. Like this is a big deal. I went to the lab director and he was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I feel like I remember hearing about that. Wow. Okay. I'll look into it. And then nothing happened again. So I finally reached out to OSHA. They responded to me that they were going to investigate the complaint. And then they emailed the lab director and asked him about it. And he just forwarded them some statement that he was working on retraining the staff and that it was a one-time occurrence and an accident. Gotta love the honesty of the people at the top. And uh, that it will never happen again, blah, 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 blah. And he printed out all this stuff and posted it up in the break room because he knew that someone there had reported it. (laughs) That's the extent of help that we have gotten from these agencies in email. No one showed up. No one did anything. I asked Chloe what she thinks needs to be done, what actions need to be taken in order to regulate working conditions, resolve HR issues, and get to a state of a seemingly normal work environment. Within our laboratory, we would need a major overhaul of management and the corporation who bought us out is the source of the corruption. But I think that a complete overhaul of management and the interference of a government entity, which I was really hoping would be cap, but... Um, Turns out we paid them off, so we're fine. Okay, this part's important. So CAP, or CAP, stands for the College of American Pathologists, and their mission statement, according to their website, cap.org, is, quote, CAP, the leading organization of board-certified pathologists, serves patients, pathologists, and the public by fostering and advocating excellence in the practice of pathology and laboratory medicine worldwide, unquote. Their vision is that, quote, people are healthier because of excellence in the practice of pathology and laboratory medicine, unquote. I'm sorry, but nothing sounds excellent about the practices at Chloe's laboratory and CAP, or at least certain people who work for CAP, you apparently don't care either. And I'm not saying that there aren't good, decent, caring people who work for these big corporations. I'm sure there are. But who is directly responsible for hearing and handling these very serious health and safety concerns? And why are you sweeping it under the table? That, uh, that manager I mentioned, who was a restaurant manager, he used to brag about how he was friends with some of the cap inspectors and that the company that bought us out gave him money to like take them out to dinner and spoil them and that he'd spent thousands and thousands of dollars on taking them out and traveling with them and showing them a good time. So in my mind, that's, oh, okay, you're bribing them. And it was never implicitly said that way, but he was bragging about it like he knew what he was saying. These types of labs have yearly cap inspections where inspectors physically come into the lab with checklists. And more likely than not, they will find things to write you up on. And then cap came and we got zero deficiencies, not a single negative mark. You know how impossible that is for anywhere to do? Even even top-notch labs can't do that. (laughs) So I'm just like, "Mm, it seems just maybe. 
we passed CAP with flying colors, but I know for a fact that I was responsible for about two thirds of the documentation that we needed for CAP and didn't have. So I don't really know how they did that. I just know that a month before our CAP inspection, I had gotten fed up and I quit. And I was like, I'm not doing the QA stuff anymore. I'm going to go back to just being a lab tech. I put it as I miss working in the lab and having my hands on, on stuff. I was just like, you know, I'm, you're not going to change my job title and you're not going to pay me more. And I miss being in the lab. So I'm just going to go back to my actual job and, and I'm done with the QA stuff. Good luck. And they were just like, well, whatever, fine. Do what you want to do. I mean, I saw that it was getting kind of hopeless the closer we got towards cap, no matter how many holes I tried to fix and things I tried to fill, it just, it wasn't enough. Like we were so far behind and I wasn't willing to backdate things or lie about things or create things that didn't exist. So I, I found myself in this moral conundrum of do I, I do it and make myself look good so that maybe I can earn this promotion and make more money or do I maintain my integrity and back away from it? And my integrity wins every time. As we get older, I feel like it's a hard lesson to learn that a lot of the time in the workplace, if you do the right thing, you do the honest thing, you end up losing and you end up at the bottom. That's literally all I've learned from this job is that I've done nothing but fight for the right thing and fight for integrity and honesty. And it's done nothing but get me in trouble. And I'm at the point now where I'm pretty sure I'm fired. I have a meeting with HR on Monday and I'm just like, all right, well, I did my best and I did what I can go home feeling comfortable with. I can look myself in the mirror every night and know that I did the right thing and that I fought for what was right and that I cared about my job and I cared about the patients. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough, but for me, I can sleep good at night knowing I did what I was supposed to do. As I mentioned earlier, Chloe is clearly a smart person and it didn't take me long to recognize this in the hour long conversation that I had with her. We asked Chloe if she considers going back to school and getting a bachelor's degree, since it seems like higher paying jobs want you to have one. I want to, I just, I, like I said, I'm a mom and I, I did the going to school and working two jobs with a baby thing and it was awful. And I got my associates and I was like, all right, good. That's the light at the end of the tunnel, I'm done. Now, 10 years later, I'm, I'm a lot older and I'm a lot more tired and a lot more beat down and I don't want to go back to school. I, I wanna just I be able to live you. my life and be comfortable. And it's crazy to think that I can't do that as is because I, I know I'm smart and I'm very capable. My resume has an incredible background that is super eclectic. I've done just about every job you can possibly think of other than being a chef. I learn really quickly and really well, and I've made a decent leader and I love training. Like I can do all these things. I just, I don't, right. I don't have it in me to commit to going back to school and taking that time away from my kid again. I really just want to be able to work and come home and just be with my family. And it sucks right. that I can't do that. <laughs> To refresh, Chloe has an upcoming meeting with HR and all the higher-ups in the company, and she thinks she's getting fired at that meeting. I asked her why. Yeah, there's a, a whole recent debacle. I think I mentioned it in my email about my mom. So a couple a couple weeks ago, she, <laughs> she wasn't feeling well, and so she had a heart attack and fell down, and when she fell, she broke her leg. So they took her to the emergency room, and while they were performing surgery, she had three more heart attacks and died on the table. They found a six inch long blood clot and they went to remove that and they went to repair her broken leg and her organs started to shut down. It was just too much stress for her body. And so they had to put her on full life support in a medically induced coma to give her time to rest and recover. My sister and I are the medical powers of attorney for her. So we kind of had to put our heads together and figure out how we were going to handle the situation since the doctors were making it sound like she wasn't coming back to us. And we know our mom well enough to know that she would not want to be hooked up to machines for the rest 
So we were pretty sure we would have to make the decision to pull the plug for her. So I, I went to work and I talked to my managers and I had this big meeting with HR and I let them know everything that was happening. And I was like, I don't know how much time I'm going to need off or what I'm going to need or when I'm going to need it. I just want you to know what's happening in my life right now so that if I call you tomorrow and say I can't come into work, you know why. And they were all really understanding and really sympathetic. And, and it seemed like it was going to be okay. And I didn't have to stress about my job. And then over the course of the last two weeks, my mom started to get better. First, they removed her from intubation and she started breathing on her own. So they liked her sedation and she was coherent and she could talk and she could communicate. So then they got her kidneys to start acting better. And then her heart started to act a little bit better. And then she got an infection from the fasciotomy where they had to remove the blood clots. And then her kidneys went backwards a step. And then she kind of bounced back and forth for a while. With the COVID policies at the hospital, she's only allowed one visitor at a time per day. So me and my sister were rotating days of sitting with our mom while she was going through all of this. So I would, you know, email my manager like, hey, you know, my, my sister's going today, I'll be going tomorrow. And then I'll be going again on so-and-so day and again on so-and-so day. And they were like, all right, cool. You know, just keep us updated. Whatever you need, we'll take care of it. You know, just make sure you're there with your mom, we understand. And then my mom started to get better. They removed the balloon stent from her heart. They sent her to the main floor of the hospital out of CICU. So she was doing well enough to kind of just rest <laughs> without their intervention. I notified work one day that I was going to go visit my mom, but that I would come to work and I would work half the day. And then I would leave early and go visit my mom. That morning, I got up from the doctor that they had rescheduled her heart surgery to replace the stents again because she started sliding backwards. I emailed work and was like, hey, actually, I changed my mind. I can't come into work today. I'm going to go sit with my mom for the day. And the next day, I got an email from HR that was basically like, you need to abide by the attendance policies and your pattern of absences has been noticeable. I mean, it was basically reprimanding me for not coming to work. And I kind of lost my shit <laughs> a little bit. Well, yeah, um, that's crazy. Yeah. So I sent this like long-winded email about how, you know, for the last two years of my life, I've dedicated myself to this lab and I've performed 110% and I'm not some temporary college kid who's calling out because they're partying. Like I have a legitimate family emergency and that I refuse to ask for permission to go visit my mom when she's in a life or death situation that I'm telling you, I won't be at work. There's not a me asking for permission situation here. That's not how this works. Mm -hmm. So I basically just threw fire at him. <laughs> yeah. I was very upset. On top of that, I was like, you know, as of today, I still haven't received any FMLA benefit information from my HR. I still haven't received any eligibility information whatsoever. Legally, they're supposed to provide that within five days of me notifying them of an event. So I was like, if you want to speak about policies, let's talk about that policy. I'd love to have a meeting about my eligibility for FMLA leave. No response. 24 hours later, I got an email from HR that just was requesting me to have a meeting with them Monday at 3 p.m. with all of upper management and the lab director and HR. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting fired. I do know what happened at this meeting, and I'm not going to leave you hanging. But before I tell you, what would you logically expect to come out of this meeting? Me personally, I would expect this meeting to address my legitimate FMLA request that has been repeatedly ignored. I certainly wouldn't think I deserve to be fired. Honestly, it would be a bad move for them to try to fire me now that I've requested FMLA benefits because I could sue them for retaliation. <laughs> yeah. So on one hand, I don't think they would be that dumb. But on the other hand, they've been that dumb this yeah. last two years. So Chloe followed up with me after her HR meeting, and I want to read what she wrote. She said, HR meeting went shitty. I was told they believe I go out of my my way to make management look bad by pointing out all the things going wrong 
wrong with the lab as part of the quality assurance role, and that if one more policy is broken, I will be terminated. No mention of my FMLA request at all. Imagine working in this crazy environment, all the lying, the cheating, the negativity, being punished for doing the right thing. Then throw in the stress of your mom being in a life or death situation. What does that do to your mental state? I'm on like five different antidepressants (laughs) and I'm just at the point where I'm like, I have to shake my head and kind of just laugh at it because it's so absurd at this point. Sometimes I like come home from work and I try to tell my boyfriend about what's happening. And he's just like, that sounds insane. I think you made it up. And I'm like, I'm not making it up. Like, this is my life, bro. This is what I'm living with. It's, it's absolutely insane. I don't even understand half the things that have occurred over the last years. Like I've been really good at documenting all the things that happened at this job. So I have all these insane images where you're just going to look at it and just shake your head. Like how, why was that a thing? Why was that a thing? Chloe emailed me these images and you can find them at notsafeatworkpodcast.com. It's been a wild ride. I did a, I did a little experiment while I was waiting for you guys though. And I uh, text messaged five of my coworkers Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I just said, okay, top three things you experience at, at my job that were unsafe or illegal, go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to see how many of them all had the same responses because yeah. I think like, yeah, I gotta find a way to laugh. Yeah. So we're laughing. One of them, oh no, there's so many things. Oh God, where do I start? I remember <laughs> when we used to dump, <laughs> I remember when we used to dump hazardous waste down the sink and then we didn't have a break room. They put a tent up outside for us. I'm sorry. Did she say a tent? Like a circus tent? <laughs> a tent. Yeah. We had a, uh, like a circus tent put out in the yard. During winter, this actually makes the most sense of anything I've heard so far. Yeah, exactly. I was like, it's, it's, it's so perfect. Uh, so that was our break room for like six months during the winter was a picnic table outside inside of a tent. Hey Siri, play circus music. No HVAC when we were being renovated. And then let's see, the next one was obviously unsafe working in break areas. Do you remember the tent question mark? <laughs> Another one was consistent disregard for all and any OSHA regulated safety and health measures. Let's just say that that's all three of them. (laughs) Mandatory overtime, no notice and no pay over the holidays. Another person said hazardous waste disposal down the drain is still my favorite. The lack of PPE enforcement. Do you remember never having face shields? The allegations of unpaid overtime that are still stagnant a year later. What else? Uh, and then let's see, the last one was finding patient test results that were run incorrectly and being told to ignore it like it didn't happen. Getting in trouble for filing QC deviations when you did find it. Uh, not having the proper lids, et cetera, for samples so they would sit on their racks open. That was a good one. I forgot about that one. And people with no incident reports until upper management heard about it as if it was a surprise. So people being hurt. And then when you would go to a manager because you were injured on the job, they would have to file an incident report, but they would somehow forget. And then like a month later, it would come up at a safety meeting and they'd be like, oh no, when did that happen? And you would look them dead in their face and be like, you know when it happened because I told you. So that's five different people all saying the same thing. This obviously shows that Chloe isn't making any of this up, but more importantly, how cute is this group of friends? They have been the best drinking buddies I could have asked for. (laughs) I want to thank Chloe for sharing her story, especially with everything that's going on with her mom right now. I know it can't be easy, but it's important to spread awareness for how people are being treated, especially in the medical field after all this craziness. Yeah, I support it. I think it's incredible. I think more people need to know what's happening to employees. And I know there's the news and there's plenty of opportunities for people to get help and talk about all the things that have happened to them. But right now, I think the healthcare industry has just had the most devastating two years of their careers. And I don't think it will ever be the same after this. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode two of Not Safe at Work. If you or anyone you know has a story worth sharing that you want people to hear, and maybe even that one person will hear it and make a change in the way they run their company or treat their employees or change the way they carry themselves in the workplace, we will keep you 100% anonymous. You can reach out to me at notsafeatworkpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram, notsafeatworkpodcast. And follow me on Twitter, notsafeatworkpc. Podcast was too long. It wouldn't fit. New episodes are going to be coming out every other Monday. Every week is just too crazy. And you can find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or notsafeatworkpodcast.com. Finally, if that's you I'm talking to, that manager or supervisor or lab director, aren't you embarrassed? Embarrassed for lying, cheating the system, for lack of a better word, for shitting on a good, hardworking employee, trying to take care of her mom while she's on life support? Take a look in the mirror. Evaluate yourself. Be a better person because there's no reason anyone should ever feel not safe at work. <laughs>